You mind if I tell you guys a story? So I'm going through the episode and I'm about, uh, I'm at about, say, 20-ish minute mark, 18 minutes, something like that. And a horrible thought runs through my mind and I'm like, this is just a boring episode. Like, there's problems with it, but this isn't lamentation worthy. And I know what you're thinking, why is that a horrible thought? I mean, if I was the guy who didn't give this episode lamentation status, that'd be... God, people would hate me, right? I'd still do it if I legitimately felt that it didn't deserve lamentation status. But it would suck. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, Jesus. How am I going to deal with this? Episode keeps going. We hit the 23-minute mark. Some stuff happens about that point. Episode keeps going a little bit longer. And right about at that point in time is when I popped the first two aspirin. You see, I had a headache. I didn't have a headache before I watched this episode. And it's not late in the day. It's not one of those I've been working all day headaches. And I I, I don't know how to say this any more literally than I'm about to. This episode literally gave me an actual literal headache that I still have. Point in fact, I actually legitimately considered laying down before recording this just to recoup a little bit. But then I thought, nah, let's preserve it. Because this episode is awful. But I do have to admit something. I've seen worse in Star Trek. In fact, off the top of my head, I would personally say that Threshold is worse than this. And Code of Honor is worse than this as well. Just off the top of my head. I'd have to think about the other big Lamentation category ones, but, uh, yeah. You know, when they sent notes on this script to Michael Piller, he wasn't in charge or anything. They were just getting tossing him notes. He was His response was, and I quote, this is going to be a classic. I mean, he was right. <laughs> Not for the reasons he thought. Or maybe that is what he thought. Who knows what goes on in the minds of Michael Piller. He did give a Star Trek insurrection, after all. Uh, don't mistake me. I actually have a deal of respect and admiration for Pillar and the work he's done. It's just, he did give a Star Trek insurrection. You know, what I find interesting is I thought people would be misdirecting blame on this, but no, the blame is usually placed squarely on the writers by the writers. They said that they should have um, gone for a dramatic look rather than trying to make this a comedy episode. And I point that out because some people have pointed out the main flaw of the episode is the fact that Alexander Siddig, who was directing, and several of the cast members thought, well, this should be a dramatic piece, but they were going for a comedy tint. Now, what I find interesting is, while I don't necessarily disagree with that assessment, there's such a thing as being comedic and serious within a singular piece. Now, it's harder to pull off, but it's something you can do. I even have a whole term for it. I call it Dragon Quest Effect when something is seemingly lighthearted and silly and fun and happy and is actually really terrifying and dark and mature and horrible. In a good way. Yeah. I mean, you, you can do that, game. You ever heard of Kirby? How about Zelda? You ever look into the lore of the Zelda series? There's some dark stuff there. I don't know. Anyways. <clears throat> Funny little thought, though. I did a little look into this. This is basically the last Ferengi episode. 
I mean, yeah, we got Emperor's New Cloak, which is more about the Mirror Universe, and they'll show up several times in many episodes, but this is the last Ferengi episode, so... Ending on a high note. No, it's okay. There's actually one more Ferengi episode after this, um, I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure of the timeline on that, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because there's the Voyager Ferengi episode, too. I think we've passed that at this point. But there's either that one and or the episode over on Enterprise, which is actually a surprisingly decent Ferengi episode, so go figure. Oh, where do I begin? Where do I begin? One of the things that was lamented eh, by several of the creative staff is they never used Ferenginar in the war effort, which is actually interesting, because if you think about it, that would be a very valuable target for the Dominion. And in fact, they could have done quite a bit about showcasing how the Ferengi alliance was effectively playing multiple sides against the Dominion because of the nature of the smart Ferengi and them seeing that, that in the short term, the Dominion might be offering them profit, but in the long term, that's the exact opposite of what they're going to get. And they're actually going to lose profit long term. So the Alliance kind of working against them financially and thus becoming a target for the Dominion. There's all sorts of storytelling there that I think could have been very fascinating. But they never touch on that, of course. There's also... God, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling here because Quark um, is rather misogynist, right? Now, we could debate the whys and the wherefores of that, but I posit the idea, and this is going to sound apologetic, so please forgive me, but I posit the idea that he's mostly misogynistic because he is a Ferengi, and thus is so in the same manner that most Ferengi are, right? Now, that's significant, because Quark is actually probably significantly less misogynistic than most Ferengi we see. Hell, I've known real-life human beings who are much worse than Quark. In fact, the last time he tried to pull anything, really, with any woman in this nature, was all the way back in Season 1, at which point he was forbidden from doing so directly by Sisko. Since then, he's made a few comments, mostly about Ferengi women in general, and otherwise has been, you know, sleazy... And I'm not trying to defend that, but my point being, there's a really, really large gulf of difference between being willing to say the occasional snide comment about, you know, how a woman is sexy and therefore should be sexy or whatever. I, I can't think of any comments off the top of my head. Please forgive me. But you know the type of comment, right? The, hey, baby. You know, that kind of a thing. And telling one of his own employees that she, and implying that she will be fired if she doesn't service him sexually. Like, there is such a huge gap in between those two things. It's like someone who is willing to punch someone suddenly being willing to rip out their eyes with their bare hands. Like, you can kind of see why there's a similarity, but there's a, there's a chasm of variance between these two things. Now, we know why the episode does this. It's specific. You notice, I'm, by the way, I just want to point this out. I'm not even wearing the ring today because I'm so blechted by this episode. I don't even want my ring on camera. How many of you even notice? Probably no one. Nobody notices I wear the ring for these, I'm sure. I was so just... Mm. Quark, who normally actually has decent business sense, which is actually a part of his character and has been for over six years at this point, 
is the kind of person who you'd think, I guess under six years, excuse me, under six years at this point, has the kind of person who would look at a valuable employee who everyone likes, who does good work, who likes her job, who doesn't complain, and think that maybe he shouldn't threaten to fire her. Implied threat, by the way. I know a lot of corporations in real life try to pull the, oh, we didn't actually tell them they'd be fired if they didn't do this. No, what they do is the implied threat, which is um, as bad for obvious reasons. Just, just saying. Anyways, implied threat of firing if she doesn't decide to give him the equivalent of a frickin' hand job. You, this is literally character assassination, which is the second reason this pisses me off. The first reason is obvious, and I don't feel the need to say that. But this is not Quark. I don't buy for a millisecond that this is Quark. But that leads me to the third reason why this pisses me off. Because the whole point is that Quark needs to be framed in a negative light so that he can get his comeuppance. Because that's how fiction tends to work. You need to show that someone's a jackass or a horrible person so that when you do bad things to them, it's satisfying. That's pretty typical fiction, fictional trope and can be done well or poorly. This is an example of doing it poorly. Which brings me to the fourth reason this pisses me off. This is supposed to be a comedy episode. Now, I, I know, I know, you're going to point out the dramatic thing, but trust me when I say this is definitely a comedy episode. You know how I know that? Aside from the obvious interviews and the intent of the writing, and the overall approach of the story and the structure therein, the editing makes it extremely clear. They keep doing the comedy music. You know what I'm talking about. Do, 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 do. Like little light, light horns, light flute, uh, wind instruments every now and again. Just like, and, and the occasional bum, 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 bum. You know what I'm talking about. They pulled the comedy music bit in multiple points in this episode, which is actually pretty unusual for Star Trek to do in general. And they only really do it when they're trying to specifically highlight comedy scenes. That music, by the way, plays right after this scene. I actually have a note here in my notes that just says, Comedy music here? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Okay, so so they character assassinate Quark so that we'll feel better later when he... Let's just jump into that, because let's just fast forward. Much, much later in the episode, uh, pretty much one of the last scenes in the episode, uh, Nilva starts pulling a Pepe Le Pew with Quark. Excuse me, Lumba. No, it's Quark. Because Quark doesn't identify as a woman. Quark is not wanting to become a woman. Quark is not Lumba. Quark is Quark. This is a zany scheme. I'll get to that later. The point, however, being that Quark gets to be sexually harassed by Nilva for about 1 minute and 52 seconds. I timed it, by the way. Now, 2 minutes probably doesn't sound like all that long. I want you to picture, however, just sitting and watching 2 1 minute and 52 solid seconds of just... I mean, he literally calls her his love slave at one point. My little love slave is the exact quote. Well, it's okay, though. Cork deserves it. That's how that works, right? That's how that's supposed to work? Because A did so to B, it's okay for B to do so to A. That's justice. We could just ask Ducat about that. He, he could give us a speech about that. Or Pa Ducat, if you prefer. But either way, let's rewind. So, 
Moogie Ishka's in this episode, and this is the most vile she ever is. They did... I, I started writing down all the times she insults Quark. I stopped after a bit. I've heard uh, Sci-Fi Debris specifically say that she can't say anything to him without having a razor blade in it or something like that. And that stuck with me because that's exactly what happens here. Every time she tries to give him something approaching a compliment, it's actually an insult. And I recognized it uh, originally, but especially this time through, because I've known people in real life who are exactly that acerbic, who are uh, passive-aggressively insulting constantly. And by the way, I hate that. I hate that kind of approach and attitude. It drives me nuts. I do get it periodically on the show. Thankfully, most of you guys are awesome, so that's a rare occasion. But again, I know people in real life who have been like that, to me, in fact. And that is exactly what she does to him. Just constantly pushing him down, constantly insulting him, constantly berating him. You can almost see the implication of why someone like Cork would be misogynistic because of the relationship he has with his mother, or lack thereof, if you prefer. I mean, that, that kind of writes itself, doesn't it? But no, 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 this is a comedy episode. Everyone's, smile, keep smiling, keep smiling. <sighs> We also see Ishka's ambition really laid bare in this episode. She mentions that she does care about Zack, and to be honest, I do believe that. But we also see that this is a very ambitious, very power-hungry woman who really does want to be either the Grand Nagus herself, it's worth noting she's currently the power behind the throne, or someone who is on top of the heap, regardless of what the heap looks like. Now, don't mistake me. She's one of the smart Ferengi. That is made clear. But it's interesting to see that ambition laid bare, especially since Zek seems kind of taken aback by that. Regardless, there's... <laughs> there's this bit where they show uh, these, the communications. You know, they're... they're Sir, we need to have this coming back. Now, I just want to give praise where praise is due. It's the closest thing to a good scene in the entire episode, in my opinion. And it was right about at this scene, this point, where I was like, is this not lamentation-worthy? This is the specific point. Because it sh it cuts back and forth between Rom, Quark, and Nog. And the editing and the dialogue is actually quite smart in how it's constructed. Basically, we get bits and pieces of multiple conversations that, when combined in the way they are, effectively form one conversation. It's very quick, it's very efficient, it gets it across its point very naturally. So, credit where credit is due. Um, yeah, I know, I've mentioned before that the idea that a, you know, a really good scene can salvage an episode from Lamentation status, I don't think that's a really good scene. It's just, you know, a very well edited scene. So, there's a, there's a difference. Point being... They find out that one, one of the Ferengi, one of the big honchos, the chairman or whatever, is going to show up. That's Nilva. Now, speaking of praise where praise is due, I just want to say, it was actually nice seeing Henry Gibson as Nilva. Kind of. In fact, there's the, so Henry Gibson, he's an older actor, a cl more classical actor. I actually rather enjoy his work. But he shows up as Nilva. He does a good job of the role. He manages an interesting combination of boisterous and overbearing without being too much. He basically comes across as a businessman who is in charge and knows it, but knows not to push that envelope. So 
take your typical rich fat cat and remove most of the snideness from it, and you've kind of got his performance. It's a nice perspective, right up until he decides to start crawling down Quark's pants, uh, metaphorically and literally. So I can't even give him full praise because his character and his presentation just fall apart immediately as soon as the comedy thing shows up. Moving forward. Um, so they find out that Nilva's coming. Uh, let's see, I'm looking at my notes here. Oh yes, there's this bit where Quark uh, in Brunt shows up. Okay, I know that I'm just kind of being unfair here, but why is Brunt here? No, seriously, think about this for a moment. Brunt is two days away from becoming the Grand Nagus, from being confirmed in. Why is he not back home solidifying his power base? Well, in fairness, we know why, because Brunt's an idiot. He is not one of the smart Ferengi. He is someone who is, and I'm just using an, a quote from a previous episode, willing to throw the Ferengi commerce into chaos to seize power. And that is not the kind of person who is actually a truly smart Ferengi, and certainly not someone who should be Zach, or, uh, excuse me, uh, Grand Nagus. <laughs> I have a tendency to call a Grand Nagus Zek as if it's a title, because he's held it for basically all of Star Trek, at least all that we see. So... There's this nice bit where Quark decides to stand up to Brunt, and Brunt's like, you would throw me out? You would throw your Nagus out? And then Quark says, acting, Grand Nagus. So, heh, pro tip. There's a special art to humor through repetition. It's actually more difficult to pull off than it sounds, and because the general accepted concept is what's usually referred to as the rule of three. One to establish the running gag, run to show the iteration of it, and one to basically conclude it. Every time you do the running gag after three, you run the risk of the joke getting old. I kept count. The acting Nagus thing is said eight times this episode. In my opinion, it only works once when Quark says it to Brunt. It's a, it actually works pretty well there. In fact, it's a reasonably dramatic scene. That's why it's so weird that the comedy music plays right at the end of it. So, uh, yeah, but I, I do have to address that point. Uh, how many of you guys have seen Family Guy, for instance? Now, I'll admit Family Guy is usually not my type of humor, because I'm just not into McFarlane humor in general. Uh, no offense to the man, as I've said many times, I actually have a lot of respect for him and his contributions to... Um, Hollywood in general, science fiction in specific, but I just, I never liked his particular approach of comedy. That being said, he likes to push the repetition comedy angle really hard. I mean, how many of you seen the thing of Peter going, ah, and that's the joke. He just does that uh, like 15 times or something like that. The joke is the fact that they just keep repeating it. Now, again, that can be funny, and some people will find that funny. But from typical comedy logic, the harder you push that, the harder it is to maintain. In fact, one of the other accepted comedy rules is that the longer you maintain a running gag, the more you have to do something to vary it up. So, initiate, establish, conclude. The fourth time, it has to be different. Like, it ha there has to be a variation, a mutator, if you will, that makes it, makes it different. And same with the fifth and sixth and seventh. Each one of these has to have some new take on it in order to keep the joke fresh. Usually it's considered acceptable that you want to have gaps in between these reiterations as well. If you're paying attention, this episode does none of that by simply repeating the damn line over 
and over and over again. As I said, eight times. That may not sound like a lot, um, but for a little bit of perspective, that means they're saying it... Uh, I can't math in my head. Hang on. Uh, yeah, once every five minutes. I'm right, I'm right. Roughly. Roughly once every five minutes. Probably closer to like one every five minutes and ten seconds or so, something like that. Now I want you to imagine if every five minutes, acting Grand Nagus, five minutes pass. Acting Grand Nagus, five minutes pass. Acting Grand Nagus. And you get the point. I, ha I bash this point in specific, by the way, because I think this is the... While there's worst parts of this episode, I haven't even gotten to the worst part of the episode yet. But, and while there are worst parts of the episode, I think this helps exemplify everything wrong with the approach to this script. Which brings me to my next point. So then they have the argument between Ishka and Quark. I rewatched that argument uh, once over, so I watched it twice total. And that was actually kind of hard to sit through. Funnily enough, it's actually not their first take. The first take was portrayed a lot more slow, slower paced and a lot more serious. And people on, in the production staff, and as well as producers and the actual people on set, were legitimately uncomfortable watching that those takes, or that original take that Siddig produced. Now, <laughs> that makes sense. This is why I wanted to watch it the second time through, because I just kind of closed my eyes and divorced them a little bit from the... Because what they do is, is what I like to call Hollywood yelling. Now, I've heard people Hollywood yell in real life, but there's a completely different tone, approach, and sound between having an argument and like, like a yelling match or shouting match or legitimate argument of, of anger and emotion and all that fun stuff and horrible stuff and Hollywood yelling. Hollywood yelling is basically you're just raising your voice. There's no actual emotion there. There's no fire. It's kind of devoid of most of the things that make, you know, true arguments unpleasant, right? So what they do in the second take, the take that we see in the episode, is Hollywood yelling. But if you divorce it from that and just listen to the words and try to imagine two real people having that argument, it becomes ugly very quickly. Which brings to mind my next point. Why is that... How, why? Why? Why did they decide to make this this horrible, ugly argument? Did they think that would be funny? Because remember, comedy episode, right? They even have the boom, 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 after she has a freaking heart attack. They go immediately into comedy right after the argument. What? To put this into perspective, let me just state this. As it is, factually speaking, a son and a mother who are going through a very harsh time, both of them, have a vicious, brutal argument where both of them list out many things that they hate and despise about the other, and then one of them has a heart attack in the middle of the argument. A heart attack so bad she had to have her heart replaced, by the way. I paid attention to what Bashir said. And that is supposed to be funny? Now, forgive me for pointing this out. I'm probably a little bit more on Cork's side than I otherwise would be because, you know, we've had six seasons of him. But I just got to say, she's kind of a horrible mother in this, in this episode. As I mentioned earlier, she is genuinely acerbic and just 
needles him and pokes at him and insults him constantly. Now, that does not excuse Cork. After all, remember, he decided to be a the most disgusting type of pig at the beginning of the episode. But you kind of get the point across that this is a, this is a damaged relationship. This is something that would need, in real life, even in, uh, even in fiction, but especially in real life, would need time and effort and care to be made anything more acceptable. In fact, the other reason I point this out is after the incident... Quark is late, is is portrayed as if the whole entire problem is singularly his fault. I don't even know what to say to this. Brunt shows up. He's like mwahaha, twirls the mustache a little bit. What was Brunt's plan here? I know I've already called him a stupid Ferengi twice. In, in, in this series, but what was his plan here? Because he apparently had none. He was just going to show up and, and be like, Mwahaha, while they used their plan and influence to just dance circles around him? Remember, Ishka having a heart attack was a lucky coincidence. In fact, when I first saw this episode, I thought Brunt poisoned her. Nope. So they say, okay, we've only got one chance. And naturally, that chance is a hologram, right? No, right, we don't have the mobile emitter. Um, okay. Okay, new idea. Uh, why don't we have anything other than what they do in the episode? Because at the 23-minute and 6-second mark, we pan up to cork in a drag. Or Cork as a drag. He's, we pan up to Lumba. Cork having taken surgery and is dressed up as a woman. And of course, it is portrayed as comedy. Now, <laughs> this is when I'm going to paint a giant target over my face because I'm talking about this topic. And it's impossible to talk about this topic without upsetting someone. So, let me just say really quick that other than the writers of this episode, who I absolutely want to upset, I don't actually want to upset anyone about this, okay? We just, we all accept that. I mean, this season I've had to talk about uh, the 50s. I've had to, had to talk about, uh, oh God, what was the other episode? I don't remember the name of the episode right now. I, I really do have a burning headache right now. Uh, you know, abuse and misuse of women. And now I have to talk about a guy who undergoes surgery to become a she. <sighs> I don't want to talk about this. But I always... It's, it's my job. It is my job, and I'm going to be honest about it. So, let's just get right into it. <clears throat> Problem number one. Hey, there's a guy dressed in a dress. Isn't that funny? That's problem number one. One of the biggest issues here is they seem to think that Cork being in a dress is the gag. And it's not. That's not funny. It's different. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, it is a nice launch-off point for trying to have comedic potential. But the point of the episode is that that's the joke. And no real jokes are made other than, ha, 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 look at him. They do this with Rom, too, actually. Rom showcases several distinctly feminine traits. And everyone just looks at him like he's bizarre or weird. And, oh my gosh, that's the joke. Rom is so feminine. Ha, ha, ha. 
that's not funny. That's like saying knock knock, and that's all you say. <laughs> There's no joke there. The second problem, Quark immediately apparently becomes stupider the moment he becomes physically female. I'm going to keep calling him a he for obvious reasons, by the way. And just to make it very clear, those obvious reasons are Quark identifies as a male. Quark's a guy. So, he and Quark. So, Quark immediately becomes stupid upon becoming physiologically female because, of course... That actually irritates me, by the way. There's this bit where he's like, all these numbers and figures are too much for me. Quark, in business as usual, you were, to, you were able to memorize plenty of factoids about the weapons you were selling while in a very dangerous situation. You still manage that effortlessly. Don't give me that crap. So no, what the episode's saying is that he got stupider because he's a woman now. Because of course, right? That's just... God, that's not even the beginnings of a joke. <sighs> Problem number two. Um, uh, how did they convince Bashir to do this? <laughs> You'll notice they just skip right over the two surgeries that happen in the space of less than three days, rem I remind you. Cork went from he to she to he in less than three days. They don't give an exact figure. I could probably figure it out if I sat down and tried, but I don't care enough because screw this episode. Did they just go to Bashir and be like, yeah, so I want you to make me a woman for a zany scheme? Because that's the thing. That's the next part that irritates me. This is a zany scheme. If you want to be a different gender than you were born, fine. I don't care. If you legit, if the episode had this take where Cork legitimately felt that he was a she, okay, I'm with it. There's a lot of potential for that kind of storytelling. They wouldn't do that at this point in history, not in the late 90s, not with the kind of limitations they had in storytelling. But, sure, but that's not what they do, is it? No, Cork undergoes a drastic, massive series of surgeries and, uh, by the way, apparently convincingly looks female because he undresses before two people and looks sufficiently convincing to convince them, which I, I know Star I've, I've talked many times about how insane Star Trek medical science is, but that's actually ludicrous. <laughs> but, but no, he's doing it for a zany scheme. And I keep using that phrase because zany schemes are... It's 80s sitcoms, right? It's... Rather than thinking things through with any modicum of logic or reason, we're going to do the stupidest possible thing because it'll be funny. That's a zany scheme. A zany scheme is, okay, I don't want her to know that I've accidentally eaten the last of the chips. So rather than admitting it and offering to buy new chips or just going and buying new chips and come back, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this thing where I'm going to pretend to be a police officer who is going to arrest her under the horrible charge of blah, blah, blah. And then we're going to go and we're going to end up getting attacked by other people who are going to defeat the cop because obviously we need to get her free of the cop. So as soon as I'm defeated by my friend who's pretending to be a hooligan with a gun who pretends to shoot me, she'll be free. But oh no, she'll defend me. I didn't predict that. And that's a zany scheme. It's, it's, it's its own thing, and I admit, I admit, my tone is probably getting this across. I don't care for zany schemes, but the point of a zany scheme is it's zany. It's not supposed to make sense. It's not supposed to be reasonable. It's ludicrous Looney Tunes logic. 
Now, forgive me for being elitist for a second here, but I expect better than Looney Tunes logic in my Star Trek. <laughs> and on the off chance that you think I'm being facetious, I remind you once again that they literally pulled the Pepe Le Pew thing in this episode with Silva, uh, what was his name? Nilvan, Nilva. Literally doing the, uh, on the side of the table, like, oh, 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 I'm totally going to force you, myself onto you sexually. Isn't that funny? For a minute and 52 seconds, they do this. So there's several scenes of the zany scheme. I just... Uh. You know... What's funny is there's this one brief scene where they suddenly have a tiny kernel of something interesting. The core premise of the episode. No, not Quark deciding to go through the zany scheme. Uh, what I mean is Ferengi women being legally allowed to wear clothing in public. The logic chain there is fascinating because you'll notice that as the nature of this logic chain, they're basically lobbying for women's rights but not from a moralistic perspective, from a financial perspective, which actually makes a lot of sense for the Ferengi. And it makes sense why both Ishka and Zek would push this initiative. Because that's half the people, half the population, who are now out and about, who want to have money, who want to have things, which means they need jobs, which means they make money. And all of a sudden, the workforce has basically doubled Think about that for a second. I mean, it's such a baseline economic thing, it's actually a little insulting that it took this long for someone to figure it out. <laughs> Anyways. So... <sighs> I, Quark kisses Silva, Nilva, excuse me, because uh, he's really committed to this for some reason. They never actually explain why Quark is so committed to this, by the way. Is it just because they, he doesn't want Brunt in charge? I guess I could see that. Sure. Okay, we'll go with that. So Quark kisses Nova, which is a little bit much, and then flashes both him and Brunt. Again, convincing surgery. This then leads Nova to saying, I'm going to vote Zek into office. Why? Because that is what Lumba wants. I'm not even going to begin to talk about the fact that in this episode they posit the idea that the female who is lacking power and influence does so by sexually using a man in power to convince him to do what she wants. Let's not even get into that. It would be one thing if Nilva saw the logic in the argument. You know, the idea of clothed females adding to the workforce, blah, 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 blah. That would actually make a degree of sense. Basically, he's convinced in the same manner in which Zek was convinced. No, he does so because it's what my widow pretty one wants. He seems rather smitten with Quark. Um, at what point do you think he found out that Lumba doesn't exist? Because it's going to happen at some point. At some point or another, he's going to try and reconnect with her and not find her because she doesn't exist. Do they tell him? Do they tell him and there's no consequence? Remember, Zek is the Nagus in the next episode. Uh, Emperor's New Cloak. So, there's, there's no consequences. There's no repercussions whatsoever. Oh yeah, speaking of no repercussions, did I mention Armin Shimmerman hates this episode? 
One of the biggest reasons why, and I agree with him, is that Quark learns nothing. He starts off as a despicable, disgusting being, even by Ferengi standards, and he ends it in the exact same place. For, for, for laughs. This is a good time to mention that Simba Smith, who plays um, Allura, does actually a pretty good job with the role. It's a shame because I went to see what else she's done with Star Trek. The only other thing she thinks she's done is an uncredited role as a bikini-clad dancer in Alliances, one of my least favorite Voyager episodes, who has no lines and is just dancing as eye candy in the background. If that ain't an allegory, right? God. This episode, and I want to, I want to talk this out for a little bit, if if you'll forgive my indulgence. I'm literally slouching in my chair here because of just how much this is weighing on me. This episode is a good example of what it takes to be a lamentation, because there are episodes that are worse constructed. There are episodes I have less to say about. There's episodes that are more boring. There are episodes that are less interesting. But this episode manages to be a bad episode, in addition to a stupid episode, in addition to abrasive, and finally, we have the, frankly, appalling approach to gender politics. Just every single respect of this episode is bad, with only a few tiny highlights, mostly due to editing and an excellent actor. That's it. That's all it's got going for it. This episode... <laughs> this episode does a great disservice to Quark as a character. This episode does a great disservice to the Ferengi as a people. This episode demeans Brunt, who's already not exactly that great of a character. This episode needlessly mocks Rom, just because it's funny. This episode... <sighs> it, it does so much wrong. That is what it takes to be a lamentation. To be an episode where it's just dreck, 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 and worse. <sighs> I actually thought about challenging myself to try and fix the episode. But the problem is I kind of already have. It's actually really easy to fix. First and foremost, completely eject the cork cross-dressing, or it's not really cross-dressing, eject the cork dress gender thing. Just eliminate it. It has no purpose in existing. It's not an examination of quark. He's not getting in touch with his inner feminine side. It doesn't change him in any way. It doesn't move him in any way. And it's not necessary to the plot. Eject it entirely. If you're going to do that with anyone, Rom might work a little bit better as a way to showcase that Rom is in touch with his feminine side and there's nothing wrong with that. That he is still identifies as a he, he just has feminine tendencies. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But even that, I feel, is something that is ultimately unnecessary to the plot, which is, let's be honest, about Ferengi getting rights. Ferengi women, excuse me, getting rights amongst the Ferengi culture. And examining the nature of the Ferengi... Make it a Ferengi culture episode. It's not like you've not done that before. <laughs> right? Make it about the core plot elements that I've already talked about about the idea of the women workforce and about how they're going to negotiate this and navigate this, about to put on screen the things I've been theorizing for a while now about the difference between the smart Ferengi and the stupid Ferengi. 
showcase Brunt, the villain of the episode, as a stupid Ferengi. Showcase Nilva, the guest star of the episode, as a smart Ferengi. Use the two in contrast to each other to showcase how Ferengi society functions at all. And all throughout this have Quark be in the middle, struggling to come to grips with the idea that he wants to be a smart Ferengi, or excuse me, he wants to be a stupid Ferengi, but ultimately he is a smart Ferengi. Why? Because his mother raised him that way. That for all of the attempts he does to be greedy and conniving, he only really does so to be Ferengi. When his mind, his in intellect is telling him, no, that's not smart long term. So we have character examination, cultural examination, distancing and further fleshing out of guest stars. I think that would work pretty well, personally. It would also be a good time to mention the things I already thought about. The idea of the, the Ferengi Alliance being something that is financially pushing the Alliance, the, the Federation, the Klingons, and the Romulans against the Dominion. I, I, you could even have a literal statement where Brunt, or someone working for Brunt, makes the comment, the people can still make profit in the Dominion. Remember the such-and-suches? I can't remember their name. It was way back in, like, season three. Remember what I'm talking about, right? The the trade group that uh, they they worked with? Oh, God, I can't remember the name of the people. They they make profit under the Dominion? Yes, they make the, Domin the profit the Dominion lets them make. They make the profit that the Dominion allocates to them. Is that really the life you want to lead, Brunt? Why would I care when I get profit? Because the rest of the Ferengi won't get what you want. We won't actually get the profit long term. And who knows, they could just shut our businesses down at a moment's notice without any cause or reason just because they choose to. Well, why would I care? I still get to make my profit now. And there you go. Like, I, I just threw that together right off the top of my head. It was very poorly written. Please forgive me. But there you have a dissemination of the ideas of the short-term versus the long-term gain and the different ideologies of the Frankie people. Done. Episode fixed. I am going to go lay down. I really do have a headache. I wasn't joking about that. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on this episode. I'll see you next time, guys.